0: Welcome to Star Trek comic book review, episode 102, and uh, as we've done for the last couple of weeks, we're having a little special segment at the beginning talking about uh, the upcoming Star Trek movie, and today we're going to go over the nine minutes that came out before The Hobbit in IMAX, if you were lucky enough to see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Which, I hear some people had problems with that.
0: Hmm. Uh, not bitter, not bitter. No, so, not at all. Uh, with Get, it out, Get it out, boys. Get it out. <laughs> <laughs> that was Brian, he was with us last week and he's uh, here again this week Welcome Brian Yeah,
1: hello it, it's, it seems like just a few minutes passed, but it's been a whole week Right yeah. <laughs> I've missed you
0: So uh, all three of us went and saw The Hobbit All three of us went and saw it in IMAX and paid our paid the money uh, Extra IMAX 3D money And only one of us got to see the Star Trek uh, 9 minute preview In the theater <laughs> Thanks for right. playing <laughs>
1: yeah, we won't go into details, but basically Donovan and I got, uh, well, if I can use the word, screwed. Brian, you're the man.
0: So you're yeah. gonna have to carry this one for us, because I only watched the uh, po- probably illegal copy that was floating around on the net for a little bit.
2: Oh yeah, probably, it was probably <laughs> illegal. It got yanked like two days later, and you could see the guy in front of the camera, you know, silhouetted like it was Mystery Science Theater 2000. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes.
0: That's all I got to see, and then uh, Ken has only read about it.
1: Well, it, actually, I did see the beginning of it—the the, the parts in the um, uh, with with Mickey, you know, in the uh, Doctor in Who? the hospital, right? You know, from Doctor Who, right? So I saw the, I saw all that part when he first sees John Harrison. So I got that far. Then I had to get back to work, and I figured, hey, I'm going to see it for real. Why do I have to go back to this not that good uh, video? Boy, was I wrong! Darn it!
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh so anyway, so uh Brian since you saw it in it's 3D IMAX Glory, why don't you uh tell us what your uh, thoughts were on the first 9 minutes? And we're going to assume that everybody saw it. And if you didn't see it then uh, Right. Uh, Spoiler you know, go go, alert. Sc- go
1: and see it. Yeah. Well
2: Spoiler wait. Spoiler alert cuz we're going to talk about things, you know, we're going to talk about the movie. So Yeah. Um I thought it was great. I mean, I was I was absolutely um Captivated and I was like, oh, this is gonna end in a few minutes, isn't it? Um and, and I knew and I could tell, you could feel they're gonna this is when it's gonna end, and sure enough, then came the credits. Um it was um you know, there were several segments of it. There was this strange parents with a sick kid segment in the beginning. Um and then we moved into a a, a story that I'm imagining is like um you know, a James Bond movie always starts off with an action sequence that really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the rest of the movie. Um, it may very well play into the the main plot, but I felt like when we got to the, the crew um, and we were seeing the little story that was playing out, that it was this sort of like contained story that I was watching. Um, and then in the end, there was a very typical trailer kind of area. So it went this, this weird... Um, thing with, by the way, it also um, was very exciting to see um, Noel Clark, who was in uh, the very beginning of the, the segment. Um, that was a, a rumor. We knew that he had been filmed, but he thought his scenes had been cut, and there he was. He plays a presumably father, waking up in the morning, and um, he he and his wife are just kind of doing their thing, and, and you look out the window, and it's London and, uh the 23rd century and they drive to a hospital after breakfast and you know it's like what's going on here <laughs> and you know and uh then they have a a a sick child in uh, in the hospital
0: so in my copy that or not my copy but the copy i did actually get to see does she she, she doesn't die in that scene does she
2: no okay, she, not, not not that i could tell
0: i couldn't tell you, you know you the sound can't. was so bad i thought maybe the uh there was a flat tone or something
1: no, no the, the child? No, yeah. I, isn't part of the point that uh, John Harrison comes up to him make you know, offering a deal with the devil to save the kid?
0: Yeah, that's what happens, but I wasn't sure if she actually died and then he offered her or if it was – because like I said, the sound quality was so bad I couldn't tell if there was a flat line or not. So Brian no, I didn't see anything that like that. Good. Uh, there, there's good. Nothing like that. That mean. makes more sense.
1: Yeah, the yeah. offer wouldn't make much uh, – wouldn't be a very good offer if the kid's dead already.
0: I don't know. <laughs> Bring her back. That would be a pretty big... Ooh, that would be an offer. From the devil. All right. All right.
2: <laughs> Into darkness. Resurrection.
0: I like it. So, uh, cool. so he, he's maybe a doctor or some sort of geneticist of some sort, maybe? I,
1: I, I don't know, but I think he definitely needs Mickey, and I'm going to call him Mickey.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: I think he needs him for something. For one of his dastardly uh, bombs or something, and uh, that's oh, you think
0: he's like a suicide bomber? He's gonna enlist him well, to be a suicide bomber? I, I, I think he's just gonna help daughter? with something.
1: Well, oh, okay. I, I think he's gonna help him to carry out a terrorist act. I'm not saying he's gonna be a su- uh, you know a walking bomb. I'm just well, thinking somehow like he's gonna help him get into some place he couldn't normally get into, or something's going on where he's gonna leverage that sick child. Uh, to get him to do something that he would not normally do, uh, Mickey. That is, hmm. I think that's what he's. I think that's what he's doing. Yeah,
0: that's possible. I hadn't thought Another of that.
2: theory. We should probably mention, for the uninitiated, that Mickey is a character in <laughs> Doctor Who, <laughs> he, who yes, is played he, by Noel Clark.
1: Exactly, he's right. Yeah, and 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 yeah, I think this audience. Yeah. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but maybe they don't. But uh, yeah, Mickey. Mickey is what's her name boyfriend? Rose's boyfriend there you go
0: yes so you were talking about that opening scene it, it did give a date That's kind of looks like a star date but it was 2253.9 or something like that hmm. so that implies that it's the year 2253 which would be one year after the events of the Star Trek 2009 movie thank you so
2: that's you were wondering
0: nice. how long has yes. how much time has, has, passed. has passed one year
2: Good work.
1: Yeah, and I would have – if somebody asked me what year it was in the first movie, I'd have no clue. Oh, come (laughs) on. So, again, great
0: job, man. Great job. (laughs) I was both pleased and displeased with that number because if it is really only one year, then that means all the events in Star Trek, the ongoing, and whatever Countdown to Darkness comic book series – is all supposed to have happened within one year in between the two movies. That seems kinda tight.
2: Did you see the original wow. series?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. They they seem like they had a new adventure every week, didn't they? Every week almost every
1: week. <laughs> every week. That's amazing. What an exciting life. As opposed to sitting on a ship all the time. Come on.
0: Yeah. Alright, good point. Good point. Mm. So anyway, so then they the 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 first scene on the planet when Kirk and McCoy are being chased by um, some prim- primitive race sub subhuman race. Who? Kirk uh, and who? McCoy. McCoy. What did didn't I say? We
2: all think no. It, you did say McCoy, but didn't you guys both think it was Sulu?
0: Yeah. Blue In, the, In thought, the trailer, I did. Think I, I it thought was Sulu. it was Sulu. I did
2: too. I, I did thought it was too. Sulu.
0: Why, yeah, because I we think that? we even were talking about how we love the Kirk Sulu dynamic, and then it turns out to be McCoy,
1: <laughs> which really is appropriate. I mean, they were always going on away missions before, sure. So.
0: Sure. Then Kirk stuns the the monster that they were supposed to be riding, which I thought was a little too cheesy.
2: Very Star I, Wars mystery. yeah.
0: I
1: I I, I like that. I I thought that was funny.
2: I did too.
0: <laughs> well, it was I, funny, but I, I thought it was, it was cute. Kind of cheesy.
1: Yeah, especially with the annoying, you know. Uh, I, I think Carl Urban has the the annoying McCoy voice down perfectly.
2: You shot our ride. I thought that was, it was great. It was, I great. it was funny. It was he did a good job
0: and then they throw up some sort of scroll or something that seems to uh, repel the uh, the chasing primitives
2: no I don't think they repelled them what happened was they they there's some line in the beginning about how he says he took it Kirk says I took the scroll
0: oh. you, I assume
2: they're leaving a temple and they're chasing them because he has this sacred object so finally when it comes down to it he gives them the sacred object back so they stop chasing him See oh, that's
0: where that's good very audio, Indiana Jones. That's it. Well, the whole the whole beginning seemed very Indiana Jones with them being yeah. chased and spears flying at them. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, yes, it was very. They're Indiana. trying to kill us, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, see that that makes more sense. That you know, like I said, the audio on that clip was really bad, so I, I didn't catch that part. Okay. So if
1: they if they stopped chasing him, why did they jump off the cliff? I don't know.
0: Alright, so the chase scene, very Indiana Jones, and then they jump into the water and we f- see the Enterprise.
1: The Enterprise? Oh. The Enterprise? Yes, I thought you yes. said they jumped into water. The submarine Enterprise.
2: And oh there my it is. gosh. And Scotty's not happy.
1: Well, well, you don't want to get salt water into the antimatter injectors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's not it quite is a what he little says, silly, but it is a, a, a he doesn't talk about the paint, does he? He talks about rusting the the hull or something.
2: Yeah, he says he's been down there for days.
0: So I wouldn't think that that ship would be able to stay underwater.
2: Well, even get underwater. Okay, so why don't
1: you give us your bullet point issues with this? Because you told me, told me about this earlier.
0: Uh, my bullet point is that it shouldn't be underwater, and that was about it. <laughs> 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 Okay, I mean, here, the, the, here, here's
1: some of my bullet points. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I well, thought I'm you were done. am just saying,
0: the ship should not be able to get into the atmosphere, let alone underwater, due to the the pressure and things like that. I mean, it's built for space, not Right,
1: underwater. exactly, exactly. And I did oh. read a little article from a NASA scientist that said the engineering specs necessary to be in space where you're trying to hold a certain amount of pressure in the hull, because that's what your body's used to, is a very different engineering problem from trying to keep pressure, you know, outside pressure from crushing you, which is what right. happens when you get underwater. Totally different engineering problem. So the fact that they would construct, or the idea that they would construct a, <laughs> a spaceship whose primary mission is to keep pressure in to also be able to keep pressure out, especially... Well, it's a big ship, right? So the bottom of the ship's going to be pretty deep. And, you know, it get, pressure gets built up pretty quick when you go into the water. Anyway.
2: Its primary mission is to explore a new worlds, Ken.
1: <laughs> so that's why you can take this thing, which, by the way, is like... Uh, it, it's, a, it's like four times bigger than the original Enterprise from the TV show, by the way. Right. This is really? a big ship.
0: Yeah, look at look at what the the blueprints of the new Enterprise versus the blueprints of the old Enterprise, and it's it's much much larger.
2: Yeah, I remember being a kid and and being like amazed that they built this thing in space, <laughs> and that yes. because it couldn't be because it couldn't lift off, and that's yes. why you had to have transporters because yes. you couldn't land the thing. And I remember when I saw Voyager land for the first time, I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, the idea that the Enterprise can enter the atmosphere and go back um, into space. I don't know. I'm having a hard time with it.
0: Well, t- you no, are. Completely. I thought you liked it.
2: I do. I think it's cool. But I, I, well, I'm having a hard time with the idea that it could yeah. work.
0: And, and, right. and, and,
1: and like in the first film, J.J. Abrams never allows little things like logic to stand in the way of coolness.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I mean, and this
1: is cool. But it's it, like... It, ah,
2: Yes, I, believe, I just. My point is, I just, I just like the big fish outside that Scotty sees. There's, you know. Yeah, out at the view, out
0: at, at the view screen. He just looks up. It's screen. not a window. It's supposed to be a view screen, and yet a giant fish swims next to it. Oh, is this at the? Is this on
2: the uh, bridge?
0: Yeah, so they're yeah. on the bridge. Yeah. And then, they're on the
2: bridge, talking, and they're trying to figure out, you know, the answer to the problem. And Scotty just looks over the view screen, and there's this like massive whale-like fish that's coming right at them. And he's like, ah, 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 and then they just move on from there.
1: Yeah, but but you kinda... do know from the first movie that that's glass. I mean, right. that, that's not a view... Well, may, maybe they can overlay a view thing, but that's glass because, remember, it was cracking?
2: Right, with
1: the black you know, hole. Well, and there's the that great scene
2: where they pull away from the bridge and, and uh, go out uh, into space. Yeah. It's a really right. good pull-away. Yeah.
0: All right. Anyway... <laughs> so but, yeah, that, that... but not only can the oh, I'm sorry, Ken, but not only can the Enterprise go underwater, but also the little shuttles, because Sulu and Ahura take the shuttle from the volcano and somehow they're able to dock with the Enterprise uh because both of them show up on the bridge shortly after McCoy and uh Kirk dry themselves off a little bit. Yeah.
2: Okay, gentlemen, can we just agree to suspend our disbelief on the whole water thing <laughs> and move on? <laughs>
0: Wait all right, a minute. Well, then let's talk about the other spectrum. Volcanoes.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: It <Which> also plays <laughs> big into this. This,
2: this scene where, where Spock throws the ring into the fire. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I didn't, I mean, the whole tongue-in-cheek thing about how he falls and yet conveniently lands on a little tila- a tiny island of uh, non-molten rock, um, uh, that was all right. I didn't necessarily care the care for the throwaway line about, Somehow. I'm alive somehow. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. But uh that part I actually liked. I liked the uh him you know wanting to be left, um, and Kirk wanting to save him. Okay, but what was the fun.
2: Christ imagery? Do you see the Christ imagery? He puts his hands out when he thinks he's gonna die.
0: Yeah, he was just getting ready. That's how you that's how you die.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you
0: get ready to die. You do you, you do a Jesus impression. All right. Well when that music swells up, that's that's what you have to do. Uh, wh- what I don't like about that scene is why are they doing it the yeah. whole prime directive is to not interfere with other cultures if this if this volcano was going to erupt and kill these inhabitants uh, I've seen he... lots of Enterprise and lots of other episodes where you gotta let it happen that's what you you're let supposed to do.
2: I, I think the prime directive is, is more of a cultural thing to, to, that they wouldn't uh, upset their development yeah yeah. But if there's if there's going to be they're going to be wiped out and they can save them without them knowing yeah. it, then I think but that's you don't not... know
0: they're going to be wiped out. They might evolve into something that can withstand, you know, a a, 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 <sighs> oh, a black no, no. winter. Now
2: they're going think, to fry.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and, and quite frankly, I think there's plenty of examples where the Enterprise In whichever letters at the end of it is going and saving planets from an asteroid impact or something.
0: There was that episode of Deep, uh, Next Generation, uh, Pin Pal, where there was oh, a yeah. Yeah. that was going to be destroyed due to yeah. tectonic eruptions, and mm-hmm. Data broke. The Data wants to
1: save the kid,
0: and he right. did, and he got reprimanded for it because yeah. Picard said they should have let him let let the whole civilization die.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: so, well okay, so 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 the thing.
1: prime directive ends up being whatever the writers wanted to be for that <laughs> week. I mean, come on. That's really what it ends,
0: well, what doing. I think' funny is that in that in that little nine minutes, they remind you what the prime directive is,
2: like a lot, they go into a detail,
0: so like, it's like you're beating us over on what the what the prime directive is, yet you're not following it because you're saving these people that the planet doesn't you know the planet's doing what it 's going to do
2: <laughs> regardless I, of I didn't have that problem when I was watching it. I thought it was perfectly fine they were saving the people, and i but I could see why they couldn 't put the enterprise. In, in view because that
0: would you know if they were okay. aware of technology
1: yeah and could, could I okay so they do have sensors that they can see it in space is that the yeah. deal
0: no no there's absolutely no reason why it's in the water
1: okay because <laughs> if they're hiding underneath the water what's wrong with being in orbit I don't know right Maybe, I, that, that's not you explained. know hide up there and, and, and apparently they explained why why Spock couldn't be beamed off of that rock or something
2: well because he's inside uh, the
0: volcano and they yeah the volcano
2: they can't get a fix on him
1: Oh, oh! that's how they explained it? They couldn't get a fix on him? Okay, that
0: and that's little, BS,
1: but okay. the little tether
0: that he was on on the shuttlecraft broke, and that's why the shuttlecraft had to go back without him.
1: Okay, well, I haven't seen all this part, but so thanks for letting me go. No, guys.
0: Anyways, I think we've... <clears throat> I liked it. You know, I've been beating it up. I, I am a little disappointed in it. It seems a little too tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, some of the best Star Trek is a little tongue-in-cheek, like, you know... Star Trek 4 and Star Trek Trouble with Tribbles and things like that. So I'm I'm willing to go f- with it.
2: Yeah. I loved and, it. I yeah. loved it. And can I just tell you I, I'm not rubbing it in. This is just the truth. I loved watching Star Trek in 3D. I'm not a big 3D fan, but this was cool, cool. and well done. Cool.
1: And you yeah. see where JJ Abrams said that he did not want to do it in 3D. The studio forced him to do it in 3D.
2: Well, he didn't, didn't he? Do, shoot but, it in two D, and then it was, it was. What?
1: A, yeah, um, it they, they they converted post process. Matter of fact, that may be one of the reasons why it's taken so stinking long. I mean, they've been done with principal filming a long time, but yeah, he said he didn't want to do it in three D. They forced him to do it in three D, and then so. Uh, but since he's been working with the tools and stuff and making it three D, he thinks it's pretty cool. Hmm. And supposedly, well. they're doing some things in here that have never been shown. They use 3D in some way, Supposedly, he's saying that uh, has never been shown on uh, on on the screen before. So, right, we will see. all
0: the all the ambient lights that they're going to shine into your eyes, uh, but not. now they're in 3D.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you know how good screen flashes are in 3D? Oh my god!
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't see any flares in this at all. Good. Well, I, I didn't know either, but it. somebody's
0: head was in my way. <laughs> <laughs>
1: in the in the phone yeah. video i'll right? tell you
0: what was funny about in that uh that phone video is that uh cumberbatch's character says i'll help you and then the mom says who are you and then that's that's the end of that scene well in that video i guess the lady sitting next to this guy recording it says that's what we all want to know <laughs> <And> <laughs> yeah right and
2: then <laughs> she just, the giggles through the whole i heard thing. that part
0: that- oh yeah boy she she thought it was funny <laughs>
1: Well, okay. So separately, Donovan had commented he thought the beginning was a little bit too light, a little bit too funny. Funny played for laughs. Um, do you do you agree with that, Donovan? Still,
0: um, well, if if I was just going off those nine minutes, I would say yes. But I think I think overall, it's it's going to be okay.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be okay too. But you know, maybe they're they're trying to. Lighten things up in the beginning, because it looks like from the preview, from the trailers, it looks like it's going to get dark fast.
0: Yeah, the first one started off dark and then lightened up, um, you know, when Kirk was went to Starfleet Academy. But that beginning of that first movie was, you know, with the Kelvin dying and
2: mm-hmm. that was gri- and it's gripping.
0: The first s- gripping, I, I, yeah. So maybe they're just but- going with the opposite, just give you the the light moments at the beginning and then go into some more then turn the screws down
2: right I, I thought it was pretty good I mean they left you with this incredible conundrum you know you got some in a volcano and they can't get him out because of the prime directive and they so I I'm curious to see how they you know resolve that particular conflict I'm in I'm'm I, I'm, I took the bait from oh, there I
0: think
1: we're all in oh I don't think there's any question of that <laughs> we're all in but we can have our,
2: our little uh, nitpicking. Yes. Uh,
0: I still got it marked on the calendar and I'm counting off the days.
2: I know. I know. I am too. Excellent.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Brian, for coming back again. And uh, maybe we can bring you on again if you ever want to come back.
2: Uh, It would be fun. Um, Are you guys going to do the. Here's a question Are you guys going to do the um, prequel comic books for the movie before the movie comes out?
0: Well, not to. uh, Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's not really spoiling anything. But. After the next IDW ongoing series, thirteen mm-hmm. through fifteen, we're gonna start doing uh, every month. We'll do the whatever the ongoing was that month plus whatever the countdown one was that month. So right. we'll we'll do them almost real time. You know, about a couple of weeks after they came out.
2: Good, so. good. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, it was fun, as always.
0: Alright, well there's the music, so uh, sit back and enjoy episode 102. Welcome to Star Trek comic book review. Our several year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, wildstorm tokyo press idw and others star trek and all that the star trek universe contains is copyrighted by cbs studios inc
1: hello and welcome to star trek comic book review with donovan and ken episode number 102
0: for november 15th 2012 so we get to see what happens to kirk and company and the original series issues 52 53 and 54 that came at the end of 1993 Yes, so back to Taz And um, looking forward to it Yeah, yeah You know, Howard Weinstein wrote two of these But we have a guest writer for the first one Which is kind of an interesting um, interesting choice of uh, writers, I thought Yeah, I, I don't know her background
1: But anytime you have a female writer That kind of, you know, it's it's a refreshing change
0: That's good Right. So for for you guys that might not know, it's it was written by uh Diane, Diane. Duane. Right. And she is a very well renowned Star Trek author. I'm surprised don't you don't know who she is. No, I'm just surprised her. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I just... I don't. Yeah, so she wrote uh quite a few books. She wrote a um what for a while was considered um one of the best original series novels called uh, My Enemy, My Ally, which was kind of like a uh, origin story or a backstory of the Romulan Empire, which then spun off into a series of its own, Uh but then what happened was that the next generation eventually came out and kind of changed the origin of what she had as what the Romulan Empire is. So, they're not considered canonical anymore, but they are still interesting books so there's oh, cool. there's five of that series but she also wrote you know just quite a few original series stuff she actually wrote a next generation episode and she has written a DC comics miniseries that we'll eventually get to called ill wind which was a next generation miniseries cool so she's a she's a pretty well well-known author um, we'll see if this story holds up to her uh, normal caliber of stuff. Yes, we will.
1: Uh, definitely, she does seem to know her Star Trek uh, as this short as this story uh, unfolds, uh, which is cool, and now I know why. She's had a lot of experience. Right. Okay, so let's start. I have the distinct honor of doing the synopsis for this one. So this is episode number 52. The title is Epic Proportions, Published date is September 1993, writer Diane Duane, as we mentioned, penciler is Rod Wigham, inker is Arnie Starr, colorist is Tom McCraw, letterer Bob Panaha, editor Alan Gold. The cover presents Spock, Kirk, and McCoy standing in snow in their cold-weather landing party coats. They are arrayed back-to-back, back, hands and fists raised in a defensive circle. Coming at them from every direction are a variety of huge creatures. Some look like a riff on T-Rexes, and others look like huge insectoids. They are all different colors and moving in with malicious intent on our heroes. The catchphrase, a chilling first contact, is at the top of the cover. The story opens with a captain's log entry. The Enterprise has been sent to Theta Leonis to make first contact with a species called Yes, Atyansa. Previous survey teams described them as intelligent and peaceful. If true, Kirk says the mission should be a pleasure. On the bridge, McCoy, Kirk, and Spock are discussing the oddities of the mission. The discussion establishes that Theta, Theta Leonis is close to the Klingon Empire. The previous survey team reports the Atyansans ask for uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy by name to be the ones to make first official contact. How could they know them by name? They beam down to the planet to find out. After beam down near a city, they walk towards it and are welcomed by four red-skinned Atyansan females. They look very excited and say odd things like they are here, at last, they are back. They all look young and fit and blessed with two pairs of arms. So forearms. Massage possibilities are intriguing. Spock comes to the conclusion they are young and asks to be taken to their parents. The young ladies take them to Laganda, who is the chief of their tribe. When they meet the female chief, she seems surprised, and says she did not think it was today that the space people came. Later, the three are seated at a table, while Lagonda is using her four hands to bring them chalices and a drink. Kirk attempts to introduce himself, but Lagonda cuts in and says he is Captain James T. Kirk, and next to him Mr. Spock, and finally, McCoy, of the complaints. McCoy objects. Lagonda says before they go off questing, she wants to introduce them to a glass of Grinch. Since they are meeting for the first time, Kirk asks how she knows their names. Surprised, Lagonda replies that she can read, can't she? She shows them some scrolls that indeed shows the three of them with a Adyansen the four of them are hiking with long staffs and long hair. McCoy says it has to be a hoax, but Spock says this is first contact, so duplicity is unlikely. Spock says some details of the scroll drawing are inaccurate, but could be a result of many people copying the drawings down through the ages. The Adyansen with the, them, in the picture, enters the room. He is Lagonda's son, Maresh, who will accompany them as he did a thousand years ago. Maresh greets them, and immediately says, It is time to be off. The creature of the mountain is waiting. McCoy asks, What is he talking about? Maresh takes a healthy swig of the Goresh, while Lagonda explains they must do whatever they can do to reach the creature. Meanwhile on the Enterprise bridge the klaxons are sounding. A Klingon battlecruiser is decloaking and hailing them. Kalak, commander of the Klingon battlecruiser Arekai, introduces himself to Mr. Scott who is manning the Khan. Scotty introduces himself then Kalak gets all chest-thumping klingon and tells Scotty that he and the Enterprise need to vacate the system immediately or there will be trouble. Scotty stands his ground and reminds Kalak that for the next 13 years this is open space and not yet Klingon space so they can stay in this area as long as they please. Kalak says that since Scotty will not abide by law then perhaps his superiors on the planet will. Scotty warns him that if he makes any moves on the landing party he will blow the Arakai into small pieces. Angry at being so coldly and efficiently threatened, Kalak can only shake his fists and say a few words in Klingon before he terminates the connection. hurry! reminds Scotty the landing party is unarmed, as per the Prime Directive. Scotty says he has to find a way to protect them from the Klingons. He says if there is any way to prevent the Klingons from beaming down... Suddenly, Scotty turns and bolts out to the turbo lift, saying he is going to the transporter room and asks Uhura to bring the captain up to date on events when he calls to check in. On the planet it is night, and the landing party and Meresh have apparently started their quest. Kirk is attempting to start a fire by rubbing sticks together. When Kirk tells a confused Mirage what he is doing, Moresh pulls out what appears to be a match, strikes it against a small oval stone, and lights the stack of kindling. As they sit warming themselves by the fire, Moresh tells them about the creature of the mountain. He says there is not much known about it, since everyone that tried to get to it was met by the creature's guards. They came out of nowhere, and were their worst nightmares. The few that returned were beaten and half mad mccoy says if they should run into one of these guards what will they defend themselves with maresh happily holds his pitchfork sort of weapon out and says proudly this mccoy is not happy with the ordnance situation kirk checks in with the ship and speaks to scotty as he works feverishly on the transporter scotty warns kirk of the klingons and an anomalous and powerful energy reading near their position that was not there before they beamed down. Kirk says they will be ready for the Klingons if they do try to beam down, but Scotty says he may not have to if what he has been working on actually works. Scotty can use the transporters to block the Klingons transporters in a limited area around their location. However, while it is jamming the other transporter It cannot transport them out in case they get into trouble. Kirk says he understands and ends the transmission. Almost immediately, the landing party finds the anomalous energy readings turning into physical threats. A Gorn, a Mugatu, a winged purple people leader, and a red serpent all attack. Kirk takes out the Mugatu with a mighty full-body kick. Moresh uses his staff as a slingshot and takes out the four-armed ape-like creature. But wait, Kirk sees that creature as being a Gorn. Spock takes out the serpent thing by stabbing it with a branch he used as a spear. After the attackers are defeated, they discuss how they are seeing different things. When they look at their attackers, Spock concludes their minds are being messed with and notes the power readings during their attack spiked up by a factor of four. The adventurers continue their quest. In the meantime the Klingons initiate transport of a large landing party. Scotty had to let a few through to get the calibration right, but after that he was able to jam the Klingons transporters. A new Klingon hails them, ordering that that they must cease their interference or be destroyed. Mr. Scott says he won't want to do that, lest he risks killing the majority of their landing party, perhaps even the Klingon captain. The Klingon backs down, and swearing in Klingon all the while. On the planet, Kirk and company continue to get closer to the creature of the mountain, but the salt vampire and Telogian sent out to meet them are less formidable and are easily overcome. Next, they see a set of four Klingons, who they think are more hallucinations, but when they start firing upon them, Kirk and company realize they are real, and from the orbiting Klingon ship, they duck for cover. They come up firing their slingshots at loose rocks above the Klingons. They give way, and the landslide partially buries them. The landing party ducks into a cave and causes another rock slide that closes the entrance. The Klingons are stopped for now, but will start cutting their way through the rock. The landing party moves deeper into the cave and comes upon an advanced green beam coming out of what appears to be a computer core. The whole room is bathed in green light and and seems loaded with high tech. A silvery depiction of a beautiful woman descends the stairs to meet them. She says she has been waiting five hundred years for her space heroes. She says they knew they were coming since sophisticated models predicted it and with a small margin for error. Meanwhile the Klingons are getting closer to blasting through the rubble when they are attacked by their own worst nightmares. The Klingons call to their ship to beam back. Kirk calls up to Scotty to let their transports go through. They found out from the Silvery Lady that she has lived for a half million years and is ready to die. She wants to bestow the knowledge programmed into her by the Adyansons' distant ancestors to the current day Adyansons. Once that process begins with Maresh, there is no longer any further need for the space heroes and they beam back to the Enterprise. Once there, Scotty informs Kirk the Klingons are arming their weapons. Suddenly a powerful tractor beam from the surface throws the Klingon ship away from Theta Leonis at warp factor 9.5. Kirk sends a message to Starfleet to request aid to Theta Leonis. Spock ends the story with a smile Referring by referring to McCoy again as McCoy of the Complaints. The end. Okay. McCoy of the Complaints. McCoy of the Complaints. So at least that's one thing they got right. Okay. So parts of this story confused me. Mm-hmm. Multiple parts of the story confused me. Um But yeah, okay, what do you think?
0: Um, yeah, I'm with you. It was a, <laughs> kind of a confusing story. Yeah. So I'm pretty
1: sure, I don't think I read it wrong, but I thought they said something like they had that the, that the Terrific Three had come to them like a thousand years ago or something. Yep. And then it sounds like this, this, the, the computer program Silver Lady or whatever uh, is saying they predicted their arrival. So they predicted their arrival a thousand years in the future and, you know, started, like, drawing pictures and stuff? Scrolls?
0: Yeah, see, I wasn't quite sure if if it was like a time paradox type thing where, because it happened now, she was able to send something to her past self and then it became kind of a legend, or Uh if she really just predicted it way back then and it kind of started as a uh, you know a legend with these people right but uh however it happened it was definitely you know it was always you know some kind of a legend i mean even when it i mean even to the point where they knew exactly which kid was going to be the one that takes him up there and leave right. his family and all that stuff so yeah and and, and they predicted their exact names right which I mean, which she makes he calls him James T Kirk right yeah, yeah, and McCoy of complaints. <laughs> no, that's why I thought. That's why I kept thinking that maybe somehow this computer program or whatever she was yeah. sent information back in time to herself in the past to right. start the legend. But right. it, it doesn't but make sense why that's they would all do that. conjecture.
1: They said nothing about that.
0: No, it doesn't. Although that would explain some things better. <laughs> Yeah, no, th- this story was really confusing, which which was a little sad cuz I really liked the ar- the author. Right. But then I, I I really was confused through a lot of the book. And then what I wasn't confused in, I thought was just kind of me. Yeah. I mean, you're you're you have Scotty mucking around with the transporters and doing something well, which, you know, I guess it's kind of cool, but really what what did it give them? Right, yeah,
1: right, yep, uh another thing that's confusing to me is they said the the at Janssen's are technologically equivalent to the six- 16, to sixteenth century earth, so it's mm-hmm. like if it's sixteenth century earth, why it, they are obviously far away from warp drive capable, right right, so why are they making first contact well I, I mean, think they they reached out to the federation, right. Well okay so there was a survey party down there before. And and so so they were concealing themselves so they didn't they they had makeup on or they they were had some kind of invisibility uh shield or something that they were looking at them from afar. Right. Or like, something like that. Sure. And somehow they came into contact and then they knew they were of the space
0: people. That's that's what happened. Well I think you'd you- be willing you might be willing to risk it if, if the people you're watching say, Oh yeah, hey, uh when's Captain Kirk and the Enterprise <laughs> and everybody coming out there knows and they know so much detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well you think be, that'd, be that'd the, that makes sense. Right. You think that the uh, the survey mission or whatever would have known would have asked a few more questions. Right. Instead of just sending Kirk there to
1: figure it out. Yeah, they, they do seem like they're very th- their re- their report is rather thin.
0: Right, but yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, another thing is, supposedly Kirk and company were sent down there to make quote first contact. But well, <laughs> what what about the survey team? I mean, <laughs> it wasn't that first contact, or that's not first official contact.
0: Well, it is first official contact, but they it's not the I don't know,
1: man. I don't know either. They call it first contact, but obviously some contact was made before.
0: Anyway, whatever. So, anyways, I, I liked the uh, forearm design of yeah. the people. Right. And then I thought it was odd that the hologram lady at the end only has two arms. Oh, she only has two arms, really? Yeah. Oh. The- I kept thinking she was kind of like Cortana from Halo, just like this yeah. little yeah she was uh, kind AI of type she? person. Right. All silvery and stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, that is odd. Why would she be two armed?
0: That makes no sense. Maybe she's not from that race.
1: Ah. But she was supposedly programmed from their ancestors. So when they were high tech and programmed her, created her, they were two armed, and then over the (laughs) millennia, they grew
0: a second set. Maybe.
1: (laughs) Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. And then what was with the. The slingshot I thought it was kinda, kind of, kind uh, of, you know, why they spent so much time on making a slingshot and using the slingshot. Just you know, all that part was just kind of boring. Oh, I mean, when they were fighting with the slingshots against well, the creatures and stuff, or what? Yeah, the, there was a few scenes earlier where there, where he's using the slingshot and they're like, "Oh boy, I sure do wish you could show us how to use yeah, that." Yeah, McCoy in and, particular said that. Yeah.
1: And then they all had them by the time the Klingons came, which was interesting. Right. They're very quick at making those. Yeah. Well, and yeah. learning how
0: to use them. It's a slingshot. It's... Everybody who's played Angry Birds knows how to use them.
1: <laughs> this was... Oh, do, do they have Angry Birds in uh... Uh, On the... Uh, well, So on the tricorders or something? I don't know. Yeah,
0: sure. It's the 24th century, so you think they would have everything we have, right? That, there you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> all right anyways Uh,
1: my only last comment is it was handy how they use the Prime Directive to do just about anything you want so the reason the landing party has no phasers is because of the Prime Directive right okay Okay. how many times have they gone down to planets Um, like in Return of the Archons and they had phasers you know it's like you know, I, I just, I just think it's kind of weak when they pull something like that out. Okay, here's the prime directive, and it's going
0: to explain why they're not armed. All right, great. Right. Yeah, no, I, I didn't, and why don't they have any provisions either? I mean, if, if he really thought he was going to stay on there for right. overnight, you, you think that he was at, you know, had had somebody beam him down something if right. if, if he didn't already have it in his pockets. And, the- and as
1: soon as you find out there's Klingons around, and before you went ahead and mucked around with the transporter, why don't you beam them some phasers? Just beam it down. <laughs> right. You know, unless the, unless the BS about the Prime Directive, you know, prevented them from protecting themselves, which is like, I'm sorry, uh, that doesn't make that sense. doesn't make sense. Does not make sense. Anyway, whatever.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, uh, my last comment was. I kind of liked how the um the natives their their necklace kind of looked like a Starfleet swoosh. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, I saw that. Which would which would make sense if that was part of their legend that these Exactly. part saviors, of their mythology. Right. Right. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that was. I like that. A subtle little nod. Right. And then if anytime you see a Mugatu and a Gorn even if it's a <laughs> even if it's an illusion it was pretty cool. Yeah. Boy, Kirk did
1: take off that ape pretty easy, huh? So full body uh kick to the throat, to the chin, whatever. And you're that's so that must be the uh weak spot for the Mugatus.
0: Yeah, now I can't remember is it their horn that's really poisonous or their bite? It's their bite? Yeah, that's what I thought. I'm pretty sure it was the bite. Yeah, I thought so too. All right. You want to go on to the next one? Please, let's. All right, so this was original series issue number 53, came out October 1993. Howard Weinstein is back as writer, penciler is Rod Wingham, uh, Arnie Starr, inker, Richard Starkings is the letterer, Matt Webb, colorist, and Alan Gold is the editor. This one is entitled Time Crime, Part 1. So the cover is a visual puzzle like the ones we used to play back when we were kids, you know, like in the highlights magazine or whatever. Uh, The directions on the cover say what's wrong with this timeline, but it should actually read what is wrong with this picture. So we can look at the picture and we count everything that's wrong. So the first is that there's a shot of a very sleepy Sulu at the con that shouldn't be there. Then there's a Klingon science officer looking up at Kirk. Klingons in Starfleet? That's not right. And then uh, there's a few other things of note on the cover. One being a uh, shot of a hybrid Romulan warbird that we've seen um, in this comic book series up to a few, a few times earlier. And then the other one is Kirk looking at these three things, trying to figure out what is going on. So, the story starts off, and the star date places this issue very close to the date of Star Trek VI. The captain's log informs us that the NCC 1701 Enterprise is heading to investigate a temporal disturbance. As they near the anomaly, Sulu informs Kirk that the distortion is increasing. Kirk requests the help of his science officer, Lieutenant Worf. Lieutenant Worf has just arrived on the bridge from his lab. There's a little back and forth between the two of them. We learn that Worf enjoys his lab over being on the bridge because he feels like he can get more work done with the equipment there. And yet Kirk prefers him on the bridge where he can see him and talk to him face to face. Worf begins analyzing the distortion and claims that this is unlike anything they've ever seen before. Just then, the field distorts and a ship emerges. It is the same Romulan warbird that we saw on the cover. This startles all of the Enterprise crew, since the Romulan Empire is no more. The Romulan leader, Admiral Jericus, which, again, we saw some few issues ago, you know, the guy with the skunk hair, contacts Kirk and demands to know why they have entered Romulan space. Kirk informs him that there is no such thing as Romulan space, since the Romulan Empire no longer exists. And it has not done so for about 50 years after the Great Federation and Romulan War. Jerichus considers this possibility, but he refuses to accept Kirk's word on it. Kirk suggests that he should just try to call home, and he closes the contact. Sometime later, the crew are in the conference room going over what they know. Worf concludes that the scans are inconclusive. And Chekhov shows pictures of the last known Romulan vessels, which is a shot of the original series Romulan Warbird and then uh, a shot of the borrowed Klingon vessel design. As the meeting breaks up, Worf excuses himself to return to his lab. McCoy and Kirk discuss how Klingons are well known for their work ethic and endurance. Jerichus eventually contacts Kirk, And Kirk suggests that they should meet to go over the details of the crisis. Kirk, First Officer Ahura, and Worf beam over to the Romulan ship. As they materialize, the Romulans are shocked that there is a Klingon in Starfleet. We then learn that these Romulans are from what we would call the normal timeline, where the Klingons, Romulans, and Starfleet are all sworn enemies, and... Taking part in the Cold War of sorts. Jericho admits to being part of a time travel experiment where they slingshot around the sun. When they return to the present, that's when they entered this new timeline. To prove that he is from an alternate timeline, Jericho tells Kirk of the adventures that Kirk has had in the uh, normal timeline with the Romulans. And we see scenes from The Balance of Terror and the Enterprise incident, and uh, Jericus gives a brief explanation of those two episodes. He then goes on to talk about Klingons versus the Federation, and again mentions a few uh, key original series episodes where Kirk had to fight the Klingons. Kirk eventually stops him and says that none of this stuff has ever happened. So Jerichus keeps insisting that he's from an alternate timeline. And then eventually he gets very angry. And he accuses Kirk and the Federation of somehow going back in time to obliterate the Romulan Empire. Worf suggests that this is a possibility and they should depart to further investigate. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk contacts the Federation president at Starfleet headquarters in Paris. He informs Kirk that the Enterprise is to escort the Romulans to Earth to further the investigation. Somewhere in, within Starfleet Academy, Lieutenant Savick and Spock are discussing the crisis. Savick suggests that it might be a ploy of the Romulans. Spock states that there's only one way for them to know for sure, to consult the Guardian of Forever. Savick states that the space around the Guardian should not have been affected by any of these time distortions sometime later after the Enterprise and Jericus have arrived to Earth Spock addresses a large gathering of officials and he lays out his plan Jericus at first objects but eventually he relents on the condition that he is allowed to travel with them to the Guardian the President refuses Jericus's request uh, but does state that there will be no secrets between them Jerichus relents and says that he will hold him to his word. Only the Enterprise will travel to the Guardian and then return with any information that they had obtained. So we're now en route to the classified planet. Kirk contacts the lead scientist assigned to the Guardian. It's a young man named David Marcus. David says that he's looking forward to seeing his father and to make up for lost time. To be continued.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Well, what'd you think? I like it. It's good. I like
1: the uh, Guardian of Forever, and you know, uh, alternate timelines are interesting. I don't time wise. I don't know
0: what Worf is doing there. Is that supposed to be Worf's father or something? Or... Uh, it would be Worf's grandfather, the one that the, okay. the Arbiter in uh, Star Trek 6. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So what's Worf's first
1: name? If that's his family name?
0: Uh or do Klingons well, have Worf's, Worf's name is Worf son of Moog. Okay. So they just uh, have his one. father's name is Moog son of Worf and Worf's <laughs> grandfather's name is uh Worf son of somebody else. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So they only have first names.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well they they they, they always tend to have first names, but I or one name. You know, whenever you run into a Klingon I just you know. Thought they'd just yeah. one, uh, they just used that
0: one. It's kinda like the Vikings, you know. I think yeah. the Vikings yeah. used yeah. to only have one name and then their last name was whoever their father's son Right.
1: Yeah. Which turned eventually into surnames. Okay. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so you know. Cool to see a wharf in the episode. Uh at first when I saw Wharf, it was uh it was like, Hey, there's Wharf or there's a Klingon on kinda looks like Wharf and then I found out it was a Wharf and then uh and then the fact that he actually replaced spock was like oh whoa what what happened to spock so right. uh it's like uh oh, interesting different uh, timeline interesting
0: interesting yeah, I-, I thought it was interesting on how they they you know i thought they did it subtly enough about you know introducing all the little things that are are different right you know cuz they don't come out and say that it's not the Enterprise A, but if you look at the ship, you can tell that it's it's the original Enterprise. Yeah.
1: It just it just says 1701 on the hull. There's no dash so A.
0: That means that, you know, the events of Star Trek 3 didn't happen. Right. Which, you know, is evident that David's still alive and right. that they wouldn't have been at war with the Klingons steering the Star Trek 3 timeline. Exactly. So, so a lot did, of yeah. I thought that was awesome. Just it's it's there. But it's subtle enough and it's not beating you over the head with it. Right. But yeah. what I didn't like... like about that was that they then beat you over the head with all these unnecessary flashbacks of episodes from oh, that series. Right. They didn't really add anything to the story. I mean, you either already know those stories or you don't. They d- They don't really mean anything here. Right. Right. So that that part I was a little, okay, we get to see a shot from Balance of Terror. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not really going in any, any detail as to what was going on. Just, hey, you remember that time when uh, your counterpart blew up my one of the ships? Yeah, exactly. And so it's
1: interesting. The characters from the past coming up in, in this and the next issue um, – continues and right. and they're quite different people in this timeline, which is which is which continues to be very interesting
0: right so yeah, all right, so maybe maybe we need to talk about that in the next issue because let's maybe there is a reason why they were showing those flashbacks and and I just didn't catch it at first oh well, we'll talk about it in a second okay yeah, the, the bottom of
1: the enterprise saucer section was yellow. On a particular panel I didn't quite know why Maybe it was reflected light Maybe it was a uh, Maybe it was a uh, Inking error I don't know But uh, Uh, Do you remember what page? Well uh, Yeah Definitely there's another spot Where the top of the Enterprise Has a yellow Like stain on it And maybe that's just Supposed to be light Shining on it And that's on page Six Where the top of the Enterprise Has Like yellow light and but there's one where the whole bottom is very yellow, right? And maybe it's supposed to be light. Oh, that's right. So it's not like on the. It's like on the. Uh, uh, so it's, for, it's on the first page, the opening page, when you right. first the first time you see the Enterprise. The bottom yeah, I think, is yellow. I think it's supposed so.
0: to be that those spotlights because if, right. if you look at page, you look at page
1: eight. Yeah. You
0: can actually kind of see the spotlights and. W- in in line of what the spotlight would do, it's yellow, but then yeah. outside of that is darker.
1: Yeah, it, it looks like a dog peed on the Enterprise. <laughs> but yeah, 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 I guess so.
0: Actually, you know what's funny is that I have a um, Wrath of Khan um, Enterprise. Uh, I guess it's a toy. It's one of those Art Asylum ones. Okay. Oh, and nice. the nacelles, for some reason, have turned yellow. Oh really? Oh that's too bad. Yeah, like the the plastic for the nacelles and it and it kinda looks like that. It's just this sickly yellow looking. Oh. Which is little... really disappointing. It's just the nacelles. Oh. Hmm. That's too bad. Yeah. And it's always been in a box or it's been up in you know, in my shelf. It's never hmm. been peed on by a dog. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that's
1: too bad. So anyways. It's worth less now. Oh well. So Okay, so we find out that the old cellar breakaway trick mm-hmm. was used for the uh, traveling between dimensions.
0: Very so, interesting. I don't think that's what they said. I think they did. Where did yeah, you see so Jerichus, Jerichus said that. He said that he was doing time travel experiments and then when he came back to the present the time had changed. I don't think he went to a different dimension.
1: Well, it depends how you want to talk about it, but um, uh, he definitely said the stellar breakaway. Right. So, you know, the same kind of thing he used in uh, Star Trek it, star 3? 3? 4. 4. 4. Coming back to save the whales. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so I just thought it was interesting how how they're re-dredging up the, uh, you know, the slingshot around a, a star to go back in time.
0: Sure. But, but I mean, what, what I don't understand and why nobody's asked is, you know, where did you go back in time to? And why do you think that you're not the cause of this instead of, you know, you went back in time or forward in time. Who knows what you did? Well, you came back in time, and now you're suddenly surprised that the timeline's different.
1: Yeah. There, we need to get to the end of the storyline to see exactly what's going on. Because though Jerichus said he was doing time things you know time experimentation or whatever mm-hmm. he's in the same timeline so what you're saying is he did go back in time and Uh-oh, then he cool. came forward again back to the timeline but he found that he himself did something in the past to cause all this
0: well I mean that that would be my first assumption okay. if you're saying yeah. that I was doing time travel, and when I came back, things right. were different. The very first thing I would assume is you somehow messed up the timeline. Possible yourself.
1: And the thing is, we don't find out for a while yet. So. Yeah, no. This is a uh, this is a long story arc. Yes, we are not going to get to the end of the story arc, story arc uh, in this episode. So. So, even I don't know how it ultimately ends, but I know what I think is going on at the end of the next issue, which will, I will not mention now. Okay. So, how about if we wait till the end and then we can uh, advance our theories? Although, I think it's kind of obvious what's going on. All right. Well, well, at least let's talk it talk seems it obvious a second. at the end of the next issue. So, uh, it, it, I thought it was cool how uh, Spock and Savick hit on the plan to consult the Guardian Forever. Because mm-hmm. when you really think about you know time travel and stuff, I mean, unless you got Guinan on board, you know, you have no idea things are different. Uh, right. And so it was interesting how they used uh, the Guardian of Forever as the expert arbiter of saying what is and is not the original true timeline. Right. So, it's like, okay, I guess if anybody could know that, I guess it would be the Guardian of Forever. And, of course, as we know, the Guardian of Forever is quite nice about, uh, yeah, anything you want to do?
0: Yeah. <laughs> what do you
1: want? Yeah, sure. You want to go back in time? Oh, yeah, come on.
0: <laughs> Take a ride. I, I do think it's funny that, uh, or or at least maybe I don't understand why they make this assumption that time around the Guardian right. would be unaffected. I mean... I could get that the Guardian itself well, would know both time streams, but right. that doesn't mean that the Guardian would prevent, you know, time from changing around it. I mean, however, I
1: however, we do know... I was thinking the same thing until I realized in uh, City on the Ed- Edge of Forever, mm-hmm. they made a big point about how um, when McCoy went through the portal, the universe changed. You know, there's no Federation, all that kind of stuff. But they were still who they were, the landing party, who who was in front of the Guardian. So I think they made a point about the fact that,
0: oh, okay.
1: you know, they weren't changed, but the rest of the, you know, the rest of the galaxy was, mm-hmm. or at least the Alpha Quadrant. So right. I th- i thought they were bringing that into it.
0: But I was okay. thinking the
1: same thing. How do they know that? It's like, uh, oh, uh, oh, that's why. <laughs> Alright, good point. Alright, I'll give you that. And the last comment I have, I, I think it was cool how they uh how they have David in there and he's alive and very interesting.
0: And making jokes.
1: And making jokes. And in the next issue, which we'll see, I, I think it's I'm not gonna say anything. Mm. I, I think it's I think it's very interesting that Kirk is again given the decision of his life to have to make uh, you know, two times mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting and we'll find out what I'm talking about in the next issue
0: Alright, let's go ahead and, and I don't have any more comments so okay. if you're done, let's just go into it Okay, so this is issue
1: 54 Time Crime Part 2, Nightmares November 1993 published date um, Howard Weinstein, writer Rod Wiggum Arnie Starr, inker, colorist uh, Stuart Chaffetz, letterer Bob Panaha, and editor is Alan Gold. The cover shows a Klingonized version of McCoy, Kirk, uh, who are standing next to Worf in front of the Guardian of Forever. Bladed weapons are held high in the air, and Klingon Kirk is pointing towards something. It is night. The words, Desperate Measures, are displayed above the Guardian in capital red letters. Kirk is sleeping fitfully. Nightmares are stabbing at his sleeping psyche. The past replays. Edith Keeler's death. That he could have avoided. Stopped. So close. He stopped McCoy, too. To save so many. Next he relives his son's death at the hands of that Klingon. Bastard! No! Kirk is losing his grip on David's wrist. He's falling to his death. Nothing Kirk can do. Mercifully, Kirk wakes up. Sweating. Hairy chested. Barely perceptible nipples. With Edith and David's specters over his bed. Wait! These events did not happen in Kirk's life. His son is quite alive. Later, the scene shifts to the surface where the Guardian of Forever sits silently. Captain's Log recounts that the Guardian confirmed the Romulans are right. The flow of time has been altered. Something in the Klingon's past changed the present, but what is it? Spock and Dr. David Marcus are assigned to find out. The Guardian shows Spock, David, and Worf, both the original history and the altered history, as Spock, is recording using his trusty tricorder. After the recording session, Spock approaches Kirk, who is pondering the ancient statues and fountain near the Guardian's location. Spock reports that finding the exact location of deviation where history was changed will take time. However, by examining random snippets of the correct timeline, Spock has discovered that David, Kirk's son, died at the hands of the Klingons. Kirk is shaken. Must he now sacrifice David as he did Edith to set time on the right path? But wait, David is here, close to the Guardian, so he should be shielded from the timeline change. Spock is not 100% sure that is true. David has been ordered back to Earth. In fact, he will be hitching a ride home from Kirk. Kirk visits his science officer, Worf, in a shipboard garden. Worf tells the captain of his concerns over putting the timeline back to normal. It will result in his people reverting to their warrior ways, which he does not like at all. Next, Kirk visits the good doctor. Yes, McCoy. They have a drink and discuss the possibility that Worf may be against restoring the timeline enough that he might sabotage the attempt. On Earth, Spock has begun the analysis of the historical recordings with Ambassador Kor, the accomplished Klingon historian and man of peace. Yes, that's Kor. You may remember him. Their review of Klingon's history settled on the longer than expected life of the Kartan, the famous Klingon political figure 600 years ago who was assassinated in the original timeline so his peace movement was stopped in its tracks with his death in the alternate history he was assassinated relatively young and the klingons continued in their warrior ways a civil war continued for years that led to the current klingon peaceful society they come to the conclusion that the three assassins that originally murdered the Carton must do so again to restore the correct timeline. In a nice full-page mural is depicted the Romulan War, with the three sides firing on each other. Kirk, McCoy, Admiral Cartwright, and the Federation presidents' heads are all in the picture, all chipping in their take on what the war was and the consequences of making sure it never happens. Kirk and McCoy discuss the situation up on a tall balcony. McCoy wants to put the original timeline back but McCoy is not so sure. Later the Klingon Council decides they must try to restore the original timeline. Admiral Cartwright assigns Kirk and his crew to go back in time and ensure the assassination. The Romulan commander is granted observer status and allowed to go on the mission. The Admiral presents Kirk and his commandos, who are in convincing Klingon makeup. To be continued.
0: So I like the mixture of new and old Klingons. Smooth head and bumpy head. Yes, 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 yes. Although I don't know how convincing the uh, Starfleet guys are in their Klingon makeup.
1: Ah, uh, exactly.
0: I mean, Kirk looks like he has his
1: normal hair, except long. <laughs> yeah, in the back. Yeah. He has yeah. A, a mullet. Uh, nah, not really a mullet. it's Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the the sides are normal, Kirk. You know, mm-hmm. he he's got the little pointy, uh, you know, sideburns and all that kind of stuff. He's got the little. Little curly Q at the front, little Superman kind of curly Q in the front, and his hair is like uh, you know lightish reddish, which doesn't quite look right in the final picture, but whatever. Um, And uh, but yeah, he it's it's long in the back, and he's got a smooth forehead,
0: Mm.
1: and then uh, and actually uh, McCoy looks pretty beefy, you know, he's got a bicep going there. I don't think I'm not sure McCoy had much definition to him,
0: but where are you seeing a bicep on McCoy? Um on the cover. Oh the cover. Oh, I was talking about the last page. Oh yeah. Sorry, yeah, the cover. So yeah, sorry, the I'm cover. I'm
1: kinda of jumping back and forth. <laughs> but um yeah, I mean act, they look kinda of cool and stuff, but it's like I don't know. Right. I I I think because of his dark hair, McCoy, at least on the cover, looks like a better uh Klingon than Kirk does.
0: On the car. Uh, yes. Yeah, he, he does.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what's funny is that I bought this issue uh, years and years ago. Right. But I did not buy fifty-three, and right. I remember trying to read this one and not knowing what in blazes was going on. And I don't think I ever finished it. Oh. Until oh, I think I, I think when I read it uh, the other day this week, I think that's the first time I've ever read this one. Right. Oh. But so I do remember starting it before and not knowing. <laughs> I was really lost, so I just gave okay. up. Okay. But I bought so, it because of that cover. Okay. So Guardian so you, of Forever Klingons. Exactly.
1: So you read fifty-five though?
0: No. At okay. The, at, when these were coming out, I would only buy them sporadically, and yeah. this cover spoke to me. So I yeah. thought oh, I got to get this one. This, one, this, one, this one. Be great. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So, no, I haven't read any of this this series, and, and so far I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying it, too. Okay, so now we can bring up a few of the things I was alluding to before.
0: Okay, yeah, because I'm curious. Well,
1: um, so they're bringing up the, the parallel dilemma for Kirk. He had to allow Edith Ke- Keeler to die. Mm-hmm to um, save the future, put the future back to rights in A City on the Edge of Forever. Now he's got to do the same thing here with David. Oh, okay. So he's got to sacrifice his son that has been his son, and he's known him, apparently, and, you know, he never lost him before, but now he has to consciously lose David to put the timeline back. Right. So again, the same theme, but in this story, so... Kind of interesting,
0: yeah, no that that is interesting,
1: yeah.
0: uh, but what's even more interesting is you know they're showing these scenes from the other episodes, but right. they're kind of this one's kind of wrapped around it's it's his dreams or oh right, right, alternate right. history memories I, I right. don't know really know what it's supposed to be, but I'm wondering if that's what the little shots last ep- issue was supposed to be, so as Jericus was telling him these stories he was getting these flashes of memory of being there even though he wasn't. It never happened, right so m- maybe that was the point of those shots that I didn't like last issue but now right. kind of make more sense makes so. a little more sense, right alright, so uh, that's cool yeah, um I don't know, I don't know what to say about the David thing stinks for him <laughs> sucks to be Kirk <laughs> Uh, it sucks to be David. what are you talking about?
1: well, yeah, well uh, okay, if both of them it probably sucks for it sucks for both of them and all the other people that that died uh you know in that timeline right that had the war and all that kind of stuff, not to mention all the Romulans but uh but you know yeah it, it just seems to me they're a little too anxious to uh, to put it, to, to put the Romulans back in the three you know the the three-way axis of uh, of conflict that goes on in the uh, Star Trek universe,
0: right? And, and I'm I don't really understand why, because I mean, how are they so sure that that other timeline is the quote-unquote right one? Well, I mean, the, the Guardian, we know it's the all, right one. Right. Up in what's that? Well, the Guardian told them. He told him it was the correct one or he just told him that it was the, original. the one that got changed. Okay. Well well yeah, I mean as long as you buy
1: what the what the Guardian is telling you and you've no reason not to. Um Plus it corroborates what Jericho was saying. So right. you know. Uh but you know, hey, I I don't know. I I, I think the world with uh pat you know passive Klingons uh, that are even artistic and like flowers, and uh, and no Romulans around. That's I mean I I'm
0: not a fan of genocide, but you know it's kind of nice, right? But it kind of makes you. They keep talking about billions died during the war, but right? How many people died during the the Klingon Romulan Earth War? Yeah, yeah. Or or all the skirmishes that happened since. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, and, and plus and something that really bugs me is there okay so there's no Romulan Empire okay are there are there no Romulans? I mean there must surely still be Romulans around I mean I mean would would the Federation and a peace-loving Klingon race truly totally obliterate uh the Empire I mean the, the, the or the um the Romulan Empire? Would they? No, that
0: doesn't make sense. No. But here, I, I think what happened was that the uh, the supernova around Romulus went earlier in this alternate timeline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that would be a better explanation.
0: You know, yeah.
1: than the Federation and the cli- peace loving Klingons uh, tracking down all of the Romulans and killing them all, you know, right. like, uh, like, you know like the Jedi Knights. <laughs> than uh Right, the know, Jedi Knights weren't,
0: were in a whole empire all by themselves.
1: Uh, exactly, which makes it even more far-fetched.
0: So, yeah, and... And, I mean, they keep saying billions. Billions died on, on all sides. Right. If you destroyed all of the Romulan Empire, it would have to be more than billions. I would agree. I we're would talking agree about whole planets gone. And, yep. if, I mean, if you count Romulus, Remus... And any right. other planets of the empire all gone. That's that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people, man. You ain't kidding. Yeah, I, I would hope that it's like
1: politically, the political Romulan Empire is gone, but there's still plenty of Romulans around, just but fewer our... and no, you know, no power, no critical mass to build up the empire. Well, and know, they the don't body, have any
0: ships at all because they all seem surprised. <laughs> Romulan in a ship.
1: Yep. Yeah. Never heard of it. Yeah, it all doesn't sound too plausible. But don't think too much. Just enjoy this. Enjoy the story.
0: <laughs> mm. Well, can I can I point uh, out two potential plot holes to this timeline? Sure, go ahead. So, if the Klingons were peace loving, blah blah blah, uh, who did the Romulans buy that starship design from? That we saw last issue. And I think we see it in this issue too, where. During the war, we see uh, the Klingon ships that are yes. Romulan ships. Well, hold
1: on. I I thought it showed the old Bird of praise. so it shows maybe, both. I, maybe I got it, it wrong. It shows both. Well, I thought it showed Klingon ships and the old Romulan
0: ships, and then the Federation ships.
1: So some uh, of those
0: Klingon-looking ships were actually Romulan ships. Well, in this issue, it looks like they probably were Klingon ships since the Romulans are attacking them. But oh. in last issue, when when Chekhov was like, hey, this is the last, time, the last time we saw a Romulan vessel, and it was a shot of the traditional and of the uh, repainted Klingon one. Huh. So my question is, is that where did they get those ships if the... Well, I guess Klingons have them, so never mind. Yeah, I All think... Right. I was just yeah. trying to be snarky and and it's not really working out for me. <laughs> okay, okay. But here's one that will work for me. Okay. Uh, if the Romulan Empire is gone, and let's just assume that it means that they're totally obliterated, yeah. where did Savik come from? Good good question. That's a great question. Since she's
1: half Romulan, right?
0: Right. But like a genetically altered half Romulan right,
1: right. Yeah, and this whole genocide thing apparently supposedly happened 50 years ago or did right.
0: did yeah, yeah, so that was that happened before she was born. Right. Yeah. Good point. Which kind of makes me wonder if if what they're what they're talking about is the, you know, the Earth Romulan war that happened sometime between Archer and before Kirk. Right. Um I mean, but now
1: it, the Klingons were involved.
0: Yeah, so now the Klingons were involved and the Romulans lost big time. Right. Big time.
1: Yeah, apparently. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyways. Interesting. <sighs> so So yeah. Okay, so by the end, it looks to me that um the three assassins that had supposedly killed um Oh, I forgot his name. Sorry. Uh, who had supposedly killed Carton in the original timeline? Well, it sounds like it's Kirk McCoy and Worf. So Doesn't look like
0: them. Wh- what do you mean? They show Which, pictures of them. It shows a. Well, it shows a picture of. Doesn't it show a picture of them?
1: I I don't know. Let me let me go back and look again.
0: Let me look. But it, it,
1: you know, even if the any picture they showed, maybe of Carton, you know, kind of like, yeah. Right. No, they you don't.
0: Know, I, it.
1: Never mind. Yeah. I think they just showed some showed some shots of him, and like maybe he was doing a speech or something. I forgot exactly, but um. Okay. Oh no! Actually, they did show them. The I think I think those are the guys. So this is Paige If 17. I got it right. 17 exactly so top of page 17 I think those are the three warriors yeah yeah so the chief of conspiracy led by Zorzak or Zorzak the chief of the Cartons palace guard well they may not look this picture may not look like like Kirk and company but I don't know it's possible they could end up being being those guys so you're some, thinking that somehow. they're
0: actually going to call themselves Zorchak or whatever? I don't know. Yeah, what, I was I'm, thinking I'm, that
1: too. Yeah. But but the thing... Okay, so either they go back and they do actually kill them, or they somehow... Whatever stopped these three guys, uh, Zorjak and company, mm-hmm. from killing them in the alternate timeline, they're going to they're gonna get them to do it this time. Right. It's like, hey, Zorjak. Do you realize the benefits of killing your uh, your boss? Think about it. Yeah. Right. Start whispering in his ear.
0: Think about the yep. possibilities. I, I think I think that's that's the direction it'll probably go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, or, or they're gonna go back and find out who stopped them, and stop that person. Exactly.
0: Does Who's it turn be out a
1: Romulan? Exactly. Does it turn out exactly? Exactly. Back to your theory. Yes. So, what if uh, the time travel things he was they were doing was a calculated thing to produce more passive Klingons that would be easier to conquer in the future? But uh, things didn't go the way they, they expected for the Romulans. What do you think? Right. Yep. But then they couldn't undo their their mess up, and they end up getting the
0: Federation's help. And well, well, I don't think they we'll really see. wanted the Federation's help. They just kind of stumbled on it. Right, but... Well... But no, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I'm yeah. not
1: arguing. Okay, so okay, so that theory sounds a little bit more logical. <laughs> but, uh, okay, we'll find out in the next issue, eh? Yep.
0: Can't right. wait. There you go. But we'll have to. We'll have to.
1: Yes, we will. Uh, a few weeks, anyway.
0: Right. So, next week we'll do next-gen same same issues... 52, 3, and 4. Yeah. And uh, before we run off, though, um, we'll do some uh, Elsewhere in uh, Star Trek Land. So this is September, October 1993. Uh, There was a a next-gen novel by Rebecca Neeson called *Guys of the Mind, Mm -hmm. which it was a paperback. I have not read it. It looks like it's something to do with nuns. (laughs) <laughs> Being drugged and captured. <laughs> sure really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they need the help of Mother Veronica. So, interesting. I'm sure fascinating. Not, yeah, that one might be worth a read. Um, in October, there was a original series novel called The Great Starship Race, which I think we actually talked about before, by Diane uh, Carey. Uh huh. Why did we talk about this one?
1: Well, I remember there was an episode, or there was an issue, where there was a starship race. Oh, is that why we talked about it? Well, if we talked about the novel, I would guess that would that has the same theme. Right. Or similar theme.
0: Yeah, so it was written by Diane Carey. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: Oh, I know why we did, because we we covered this timeline already uh, when we did um, Deep Space Nine. Oh. Because we did these three issues of Deep Space Nine. Right. Okay. That's why. So all right, well then we're good. We we covered it back in issue number 7. If you want to know what happened these 3 months uh you know, go go dig up the old episode.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, that sounds good.
0: Uh, I'm cutting it short. Let's go home.
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: All right, so until next week, we'll talk to you guys later.
1: Thanks for joining us on the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.